Hey guys, welcome to Vol Nation's Power Tea Talk. Only took a few days, but Tennessee finally has a new football coach, and it was an unexpected name with Josh Heupel, the former uh, Central Florida coach. Danny White brings along Heupel after three years and a 28-8 record, not too shabby. Uh, this was a very quiet search. Chris Lowe was really the only person to report any names, and uh, we'll review those later. Uh, review them later and kind of you know see if we liked any of them. But today we're going to review where this leaves Tennessee and our thoughts on the hire. Uh, we'll go over Josh Heupel and what he brings to the Tennessee program and his accomplishments, accomplishments excuse me, at UCF. Then finally, we go over the expectations that we have with Josh Heupel at Tennessee. Tyler, I hope you're doing well and being more productive now that we have a coach. Apparently, you're not. We did joke about that. Um, but how is everything going in Memphis? I'm great, man. Yeah, I was, I was hoping to get back to some productivity once we got the coach named you know, trying to keep up with assistant coach rumors. And then also the internet decided they wanted to try to take down Wall Street. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a very unproductive but entertaining week for me. If you have any mortgage needs, go to Tyler, by the way, just a heads up there. <laughs> um, he's probably more passionate about stocks than Tennessee football, I would even argue. Uh, but, no, we'll, we'll keep it Tennessee-related. It has been crazy. Uh, kind of reminds me of another revolution that the Vols led in 2017 that the fans took over. Um, but we won't get into that either. So we're going to talk about Josh Heupel today. Um and, and go from there. I think this is going to be a fun podcast. We both like the hire, so it's going to probably be a little bit more positive than than people might think, and, and we'll get into those reasons here. But I, I think kind of starting on Tuesday night when this broke, Tyler, when Heupel's name originally started to leak, the fan base was sort of panicky, but it seemed by Wednesday morning people started to calm down and be more okay with the hire looking at his resume. I think people, people realized that his job um, – was that this job, excuse me, wasn't exactly a top-tier job. The University of Tennessee football program has kind of been on a on a downward uh, slight, I guess you could say, lately. And I think we've kind of overrated the job once again. But we'll kind of look here to start the podcast. Where does this put Tennessee? And to answer the second question, do you think that the fans bought the hype again about getting a big name? Did that affect the original thinking when Hypel was hired? Yeah, I think the definitely bought the hype as far as getting a big name, but that, that goes along with being a fan, right? So um, I think anytime there's an opening, you're always wanting the best possible candidate. And, you know, people can kind of disagree on who that is, but, you know, it all starts with a, a similar group of names. Um, I think the one disservice the university maybe did, um, you know, there was a, a little bit of talk about, you know, like a six, seven, eight million dollars. Um, and that was kind of rumblings, you know, from the quote insiders or whoever else. But also, I mean, Rucker got a hold of that and, and reported that. So somebody was talking, you know, to the extent of what we were offering. And so w- once you start putting dollar tags like that out there, I, I think um, even people like you and I, I mean, we were discussing this last week. You know, we were we were pretty reasonable in, you know, the top shelf guys probably aren't going to be interested. But if you're talking about seven or eight million dollars a year, like, it's pretty easy for me to change that opinion, right? Like I, I think you may be able to talk somebody into it at, at that price tag. So as far as the search goes, I, I think, you know, kind of that dollar figure getting out there, um, you know, could even lead reasonable people to, to think we might be getting a better coach than we are. But ultimately, I mean, you, you got to take a step back and look and, you know, it, it, tradition is terrific facilities, support, fan base, everything, but on field product for the last 10 years has been, you know, abysmal, leadership uh, although new now has been in disarray and 
there's always the NCAA sanctions that, that no one can really seem to speak to other than, you know, they're, they're saying that it's minor and a speed bump and all that. Um, I mean, you, you add all that together and, and it, it makes it pretty hard to pull a guy like Matt Campbell or, or somebody else who's got a pretty cushy good job, to be honest with you. So um, as far as the fan base getting excited, yeah, it's part of being a fan. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, and, and we'll get into this later about why people may not be excited about it. I, I do think there. Yeah, I, I believe what I did was overrated Danny White a little bit in the sense of he could pull whoever he wanted. I knew that wasn't the case, but Friday when we discussed his hiring last week, I think we kind of bought into the Danny White hype, and rightfully so, but we bought it thinking that, oh, that opens up a new pool of candidates, and it really didn't, which is fine. Uh, an AD is important, but it's not the biggest thing coaches look for, right? So, especially when you have these looming NCAA sanctions, I believe that we we maybe got a little bit overexcited about potentially Matt Campbell uh, or James Franklin's name being mentioned, uh, maybe a couple other Power 5 names. Mario Cristobal was just another name the fan base kind of threw out. But I was really impressed with the search itself. Other than Chris Lowe leaking who Tennessee contacted, there weren't any leaks. Tuesday night, the Hypel stuff got out, and that's when they got it done, so that made sense. There wasn't any public, uh, what I like to call the Mike Gundy special, uh, any <laughs> public uh, you know, rejections or anything like that. So I thought that was, that was good by why he kept it under wraps and, and probably having Hypel you know, who he hired previously probably helped with that. And, the, you know, they didn't wait a couple days on a big name and then, you know, end up hiring Hypel like two days before signing day. They got this done pretty quickly. So it did look like it was a well-run search, which I believe all our past searches have not been uh, ever since we, you know, Lane Kiffin left for USC. So I, I think that is a positive takeaway. And Danny White <laughs> joked that he was still mad that there was a leak, even though there really wasn't truly a leak. I thought that was kind of funny in the press conference. But overall, I thought this was a, a – I don't want to say lukewarm because that gives negative connotations to it, but I thought it was a it, it was a C-plus type hire. Heupel has some positives. He's got some negatives. But overall, this just isn't a great job right now. And I think if you get a guy who's 28 and 8 in three years, that's, that's not a bad thing at all. I, I don't – yeah, I mean, I don't want to say we over – overestimated or, or overhyped white like he, he's a top five athletic director and i i honestly i do think he's still opened up a pool of candidates i mean if, if fulmer's still here i don't think you can even hire you know a guy like josh heupel and you know d to be clear I, I think the majority of the maybe pause or hesitation or not wanting anything to do with heupel is is the fact that he's from ucf and danny white's from ucf mm -hmm. I think if John Gilbert came in here and hired Josh Heupel, people would be freaking stoked about it. Um, and so for me, the, the fact that, you know, the UCF AD came in and hired the UCF coach, I, I think that's what's put a, a little bit of a, a negative connotation on what would otherwise have been a, a very solid candidate. I mean, they're, they're, they're the best group of five football program going right now. Um, and so, I mean, if you can't pull a power five coach with, with any white as AD, you're not going to pull a power five coach with anyone else as AD. And if you're going to have to get a group of five coach, you might as well get, you know, one of the better ones. And I mean, you can split hairs with, with Chadwell or Napier or whatever you want, but ultimately I think Heupel is as good of, if not a better candidate, you know, be between those three names and, and the administration decided that they didn't want to do business with Lane Kiffin and, and Hugh Freeze. I understand that also. Um, it doesn't mean that's what I would have done, but I, I definitely, I mean, if I was a 40 year old hotshot athletic director, 
I mean, I probably wouldn't want to, you know, hitch my wagon to Lane Kiffin or Hugh Freeze either. So I, I get it. Um, I, I kind of wish Tom Herman had surfaced in this a little bit, but look, man, Tom, Tom Herman's got enough money and he may not have wanted the headache. Who knows? Uh, so I, I think just the, the fact that they both came from UCF takes a little bit of the shine off Heupel. Um, otherwise, everybody's just pointing at his offense and they're like, yeah, let's go. I think you did mention the UCF connection with Heupel. I think that's a positive because Danny White is going to know, A, if he's a good coach, B, if he runs things the right way, more than any other person, you know, I would say on the planet at this point. So I think actually, to me, and I can see why some people would look at it and say, oh, we just hired his guy. Well, it's not a nepotism thing, in my opinion. It's not like he's been friends with Josh Heupel for 20 years. It's not like he's a family member or a close friend or even though, I, I don't know if this is the case or not, or they have the same agent and the agent put this all together. It, Danny White, you know, he's worked with Heupel for three years. You would think that he has some inkling that Heupel is actually a good hire if he hired him from UCF. I don't think this was a panic move. And Danny White, if, if he was in a situation where he felt like he had to get a coach, I don't think that would have been the case. I think Danny White would have just hired the guy that he wanted to hire. If that took Friday, he would have done it. I don't think this was, I have to get a coach in here now, like Mike Hamilton was, remember, you know, back in 2010. I think he would have waited however long it took to get what he thought was the right guy. So I think Heupel is a legitimately good candidate, and I look at that as a positive. I know some of the fan base doesn't, but it sounds like you also think that's a positive that White is bringing in his guy. I, I think it's a positive in the sense that, you know, they've worked together and they understand each other, and, you know, it, it should lessen the learning curve for both of them um, going into new jobs and, and, quite frankly, and and more scrutinized jobs for, for each of them. Um, going to play out well. And I, I understand it, but it, it it's also probably time to stop. Is like the UCF love and respect and adoration. Um, like you know, when, when Kiffin was here and he had the whole Orgeron and, and you know the USC East and you know whatever else. And I guess it's one thing if you are coming off you know like one of the most recent college football dynasties <laughs> um, in, in USC. Like people still rolled their eyes at that, but you know I, I think if you don't shut down the UCF love pretty quickly. Like you're going to lose a lot of people for no reason. So that's one thing that, you know, hopefully after the introductory press conferences, we we've got that put behind us um, and, and don't have to hear about that ever again. Right. But I mean, going back to the search, I, I, I do think it was, you know, phenomenally efficiently done. Um, I, I do think he cast a, a nationwide search. I do think he talked to a whole ton of people and that's why you have, you know, Chris Lowe reporting a list of names and you had, you know, it feels like every six hours, you know, somebody somewhere on the Internet was speculating a different candidate. I think he did talk to a lot of people. I think he did gather a lot of information. And and honestly, I mean, he talked to the students and the fans have been talking about it for years. Like we want to score points like we want to play offense. We want to be in this new era that's been around so long. It's not even new anymore. We just haven't, you know, been involved Um and so I, I think I really think that he checks all of the boxes, you know, except for the fact that he came from UCF. Right. Like I just I really think that's still the only, you know, kind of negative connotation that people have is well, he brought his guy along. Like he didn't he didn't do a search. He didn't you know, there was no real interviews with other candidates because he was going to do this all along. I don't I don't think that's true. I don't think this was a preordained thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he talked to a whole bunch of people and from the people 
who was going to say yes to him, I think he picked the best one. I got to give it to Danny White, though, because, you know, he was going to get that because jo- he said Josh Heupel was the number one candidate. And, you know, he was going to get that question. Well, if he was the number one candidate, why wasn't he hired the next day? And he was like, once we reviewed all the candidates, then Josh Heupel became apparent he was the number one. I really like that. He's so savvy, Danny White is, just how he phrased that and made sure that he didn't get that question. I thought it was really smart. You did mention the offense. I think that's really important that we did get a high-powered offense guy. This guy is a fantastic offensive coach. Tennessee needs some fun and exi- excitement. If you're going to lose, then let me, you know, we actually talked about this uh, pre, pre-recording. You know, if you're going to lose, do it in an exciting way, right? We were referring to my, our NBA teams, but this guy's top 25 in yards per play every year since 2017. He's top 15 in S&P Plus offensively. Every year he's been uh, since 2016, and then he's top 13 total yards the last five years. They run play a lot of plays. They have a wide open passing game. They they get create running lanes for the backs to operate. This is a fun offense, and I think that is important. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. Um, I so um the the Danny White number one candidate thing it, it reminds me of a kind of a little saying that I like to have I'm, I'm sure you've heard you know sometimes you you tell your truth you don't tell the truth mm-hmm. and like, I've got a little spin on that you tell your story not the story so like the, the story you want to be told um so Danny White just championed that straight out of the gate man like he my hat's off to him he is a maestro he told his story <laughs> he did not tell right. you know the story he did not tell the whole truth but part of it was true he's like this is the number one candidate <laughs> so I, I he, he started out saying I didn't want to hire him um I, I didn't expect him to be the guy I talked to everybody I could I gathered all the information he was the number one guy like was he the number one choice absolutely not but he he worded that in a way where he, like you said, he eliminated follow-up questions. He just, I, again, except for trying to be funny at the beginning, like I, I think he killed it. Like if he would just drop the jokes, like he's funny enough when he's answering questions. If he would just drop the stupid force joke at the beginning, like he would be a ten out of ten for me in press conferences. Um, but as, as far as Hypo's offense goes, I, yeah, I mean we'll we'll probably break it down a little bit more as we go along, but. You want entertainment value. They they run one play every fifteen seconds. You know this past season, so um, that that's that's just it's going to be night and day uh, from from what we've kind of grown accustomed to. And you know we're definitely not going to run the ball up the middle for two yards on first and second down anymore. So um, I, I I don't know how much you can realistically implement in one off season. Uh, you're also going to have to you know probably do some some roster reconfiguration as you go. But there's some pieces in place. Um, where, where they can be exciting week one, I think, offensively. So two points on that. So the first thing I would say is, one, uh, this isn't going to be a, a true spread offense, unlike whatever the hell Jeremy Pruitt and Jim Chaney were trying to run this past year. <laughs> this is a true spread offense with true spread principles, and we'll get to that in a minute. The other thing I was going to mention, too, if you're going to have looming NCAA sanctions, a fun offense is going to help offset that in terms of recruiting guys and keeping your fan base engaged. You know, if there's no reward for a year or two, whatever bullpen, bullpen, postseason ban might occur, you have a fun offense that's going to be more engaging to the fan base, going to be more engaging to your recruits, and it will put your players in a better mind, too, playing in something like it, like his offense that that generates a lot of yards and points. Well, yeah, the the thing is the uh, I know people want to talk about sports being a game and like having fun and and the word fun gets so marginalized 
you know, as you get into quote big business sports. But if the players are having fun, like they're going to play harder. They're not going to quit on you, right? They're going to play harder. They're going to practice harder. Like, you know, they're going to fall in line, so to speak, with all of the requirements that you have in a program. It's going to attract more players. Like, the players at Tennessee didn't have fun, like, one time in the Jeremy Pruitt era, it feels like. And so I, I think, you know, the, the you know, kind of the, kind of the offense being aggressive and up-tempo and, and setting the stage and the momentum um, of the team is, is – honestly, it's going to be contagious. Uh, the fans are going to enjoy it, but also the players are going to enjoy it. And that uh, that just – that means a lot more than people probably think it does um, for the, the guys already in the program and also for recruiting. Like the offense, you know, I, I know people have concerns about Hypel's ability to recruit and, and you know, hopefully as the staff fills out, we'll have a better window into that. But the offense is going to recruit itself. I, I feel I, I have no concerns how we do offensively from a recruiting standpoint. I've got a question here real quick before we go into Josh Hypel. Uh, there was a quote by Danny White. And by the way, it should be noted that if you didn't see what he actually said, like if you didn't watch his tone, it definitely was not in a super critical way. But he did make the, the point about, you know, why are our fans negative? You know, why, you know, why, what do you have to be negative about? Don't go on Twitter and be negative. It's the second time he's brought that up. What do you think about that? Is that fair? Is he taking unnecessary shots? Is he just trying to set a tone? What do you think about that there? So here, it, here's the deal for me with Danny White. I, it is fair. Like it, it's a thousand percent fact. Our, our fan base is toxic. Uh, and I know you can, you know, a lot of people are like, well, everybody's fan base is that way. You know, you're just not in that fan base or you just don't pay attention to it or whatever else. But I, I think I can say with a pretty, you know, decent amount of certainty that we're in the top three, you know, to- toxicity fan base rankings, um, if not runaway number one. So I, I do think it's fair, and I also love that he's two for two on on calling shots at the fans about being negative. But the the problem is, and you know, this is me watching Danny White's press conference and reading his Wikipedia page. So that's that's what I've got on him. But I can already tell you what his flaw is. He's extremely smart, but he's also he's very analytical. But his thought processes are all based in logic, and like his his quote, he's like, I don't understand how you can take this passion and turn it into something negative, like it's because he doesn't understand. Like, he doesn't understand what the fan base has been through, number one, but he also doesn't understand that the fan base is not logical. It is, it is very illogical. It is mostly driven by passion and past experiences, you know, two of which he's, he's not really accustomed to. It's like, like I, I personally, I'm really good at math, and I have a, a younger brother, like quite a bit younger than me, and so when he was coming through school, like I'm trying to help him with his math, and I, I can't help him at all. It's like, I don't know, I don't understand why you can't look at those two numbers, like six and four or 10. Like you don't need to count on your fingers. You don't need to write down the little sticks and count them. Like that's just what it is. And like, I couldn't explain it to him. Like my wife is terrific at many things, but if I asked her right now what six plus five was, I'm not sure what she would say. <laughs> but she, she's a teacher. Like she just won teacher of the year at a great school. Like mm-hmm. she's just like she's real connected to that and is able to explain it in a way to help you understand. And I think that's kind of like Danny white is really good at math and our fan base may not be good at math. And I think, I think that bridge is not going to connect and I don't know that he's going to get that. Um, and it's just one of those things like, you know, some people who played sports or are really good at sports that can't coach it. They can't teach it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's just a very logical person 
And so I don't think he connects to the fan experience from an illogical, passionate, fanatical standpoint. Does the fan base need to be more passionate? Yes. Is you taking shots at the fan base funny? Maybe to somebody like me, but probably not to everyone. And you might not be able to keep it up. Like, right. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how long that's going to go because there's always going to be negative people unless you're 12 and 0, right? Like, you can go 11 and 1, and there's going to be a certain percentage of people who are pissed off about that one. And I, that, that's going to be, you know, I, maybe he'll figure it out. I don't know. But if, if he's got a flaw, that's where I'm, I'm kind of a little nervous about. I, I totally agree with everything you're saying there. It's like, you know, I like to think I'm semi-intelligent and then I need someone to explain the stock market thing to me. Like before. <laughs> I can't imagine how many times I've had to have different examples, you know, with what's happening this week. But moving on to that, I think also with White – I believe it's he's trying to promise that this is a new era. I think he's trying to tell him, guys, it it's a new era. I know what I'm doing. You don't have to be negative. I know you have trust issues, but trust me. Look at my resume and know what I'm doing. But he can't quite t- say it that way because he can't take shots at other people, especially Fulmer. So he can't go, <laughs> guys, I'm not Philip Fulmer. I know how to run an athletic department. He can't say that. So I think this is trying to be his way of saying – hey, I promise you this is going to get better. I know what I'm doing. I've got this under control. It's just coming out in a way where this is a very defensive fan base. You, you know, you say illogical, which I think is fair. I'll say def- uh, very defensive fan base. You know, we saw that, especially after the Shiano situation, where this fan base, if, if someone attacks them, they want to bite back. And I think... I think White probably could have phrased what he was trying to say better, but I understand what he's doing. I trust Danny White, and I, you know, I'm more of a positive fan anyway. And maybe it's because I'm just not this like monster college football team or Tennessee football is my life. Because for some people it is that should be that way, but some people it is. And social media brings out bad tendencies. I think he's just trying to get a point across the guys. We don't need to be negative anymore. This is a new leaf. This is a new era, and that is a good thing. And I trust Danny White, but I think he just didn't say it the correct way well not even you know to the extent that it's a it's a new era and you know i know what he's doing i know what i'm doing and all that like i I agree with that a thousand percent but i also i mean to take it a step further like it doesn't help anything you know like if you want to be a fan of the university of tennessee and want the best for the university of tennessee like what you're doing is not helping anything you know like you know tweeting players and coaches and recruit almost anything that you do on twitter is not helping anything it's hurting and so I, I think, you know, even you know, even to the extent that, you know, he, he does know what he's doing and he does, you know, want to communicate that and, and, you know, relax, take it easy. Like, I've got this better days are ahead. Like, all of that is valid, but it's also like it, it's detrimental to an extent. Let's move on to the higher Josh Heupel here. Let's kind of go transition here going to him. So, you know, Josh Heupel, 28 and 8 at UCF, he won a conference title. Uh you know, playing against LSU in the Fiesta Bowl gave him a really good game. Uh, his first year, last two years, not as great. Went ten and three. Second year, six and four. This past year, not going to hold twenty twenty against him. Jimmy Hines reported, you know, they lost ten players of COVID, you know, before the year, and then lost a, a couple more as the season went on. And and they lost the bowl game. I, I don't hold bowl games against coaches really at all. So I'm not really going to even count that, especially this year. Uh, for example. But what can you tell me, Tyler, about Josh Heupel? What excites you about him coming in here and being the head coach? 
so I, I thought, you know, I, I thought he handled himself well in the press conference. Um, you know, good at explaining kind of what he wants to do, what he's looking for. Uh, seemed sharp, but also enough personality, but not too much. You know, no fluff. Um, he just he he was pretty pretty calm. Didn't seem nervous or rattled or anything. So. All in all, I mean, it wasn't like the sexiest press conference ever, you know, but it, it, he was solid. Um, look, the guys lost, what, six regular season games mm-hmm. in three years by 19 combined points. Uh, he lost the, the LSU bowl game by eight, you know, and, and you know, this year's bowl game kind of got away from him a little bit, I think. But, yeah, I mean, they had, a, I think it was a dozen COVID opt-outs. He's lost two starting quarterbacks to major injury um, and just – continues to roll offensively um like i we we didn't lose any quarterbacks like I, I couldn't imagine if we lost two quarterbacks to injury like what happens so um i i think I, again it, it's just it's hard not to be excited about the offensive potential um he, he said a couple of things in the press conference that excited me like he was talking about been a couple of different places it's kind of a, a mesh of all of these different things but at the end of the day it's got to fit the personnel you know on your roster and so i, I think that's important because we have you know a couple of good quarterbacks but they're very different quarterbacks um and in the past we've definitely had coaches who tried to bend the roster to their to their will a little bit uh from from a principal standpoint and a system basis and so i, I think just the ability to be multiple um, to adjust, to be comfortable enough in your own skin, um, and and competent enough in your own scheme to to be able to do, you know, different things. And and another thing that he said was, he's like, I don't I don't really care what our weaknesses are. Um, he's like, I want to know what we're good at, and I just want to do that. Um, I, I think that's another thing, you know, that that coaches a lot of times get hung up on wanting to improve certain areas. And he was basically just like, look, we'll avoid what we're not good at. Um, like, let's just keep it as simple as possible. Let's do what we're good at, and let's go fast. Um, and so I, I think, um, I, I think he's pretty hell bent on dictating tempo and aggressiveness. And I think that takes you a long way, uh, in football games. And I also think that we're going to get very tired of hearing the phrase chase championships. <laughs> yeah, that's probably going to be, you know, the brick by brick and the eye and, <laughs> and whatever the hell Dooley came up with. Where's Rommel? I guess. Where's Rommel? Yeah, that's, that's the one that was funny. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I like we're going to run a true spread with excellent concepts and explosive plays, which I'm not sure we've done since 2012, honestly. Like, an offense actually engineered to, like, have exciting plays. Like, Butch's offense was this weird West Coast short game kind of thing they like to do, and I don't even know what Pruitt's goal was on offense half the time. So that's not going to be the case with Heupel. He's going to run, you know, a lot of RPOs. He's going to run wide splits. He's going to have a lot of flood passing concepts to create big plays. And what I like is he wants to attack a defense. A lot of times people just, college coaches, you know, who don't run a true spread will just, and this is what my kind of problem with Pruitt's offense always seemed to be, is like they just ran their stuff. There wasn't really a goal. There wasn't really an an idea to attack a defense weaknesses. We're just going to run our thing and just go with it. And you could argue, you know, that's been a problem with Butch as well. But with Josh Heupel, that won't be an issue. He's going to find your weakness. He's going to attack it, and he's going to score points off of it. And I'm really excited about that. Right. So, so Butch had the the spread the spread power run game or whatever he called it, Mm -hmm. um, where he was he was basically running the ball but just spreading you out. Um, 
Hypo's going to have a little bit of that, uh, but it's going to be so. So you're going to take advantage of the wide splits, and and kind of what that is is like the the receivers are literally going to test the boundaries on the on the sidelines, um, and and so that'll allow your slot receivers are also going to wide up line up wider, and so that lets your playmakers get in space one on one. It's so from from a passing standpoint, that's going to open up. You know, again, you, you have you're going to get a better look at the defense. Like if they're going to trail them out there and, and line up man to man, it's going to be pretty obvious. And if you're in a zone, you know, it's, it, you're going to you're just going to get way better pre snap reads by being spread out that far. And then you're also going to force the defense kind of to make a decision on what to do with their safeties pretty pretty early um, in the coverage. So you're not really going to be able to disguise anything. And if you're one on one, you know, to the perimeter, you can get it out quick to the slot guys. You know, you can make a move and, and get some yards if one guy misses. Um, it, it's going to be harder to kind of rally to the ball, which SEC defenses are, are exceptional at. Um, and so you, you've got more field to cover. Obviously, you're going to be more fatigued as a defense. But what it does is it really opens up the middle of the field on those slants and ends off the RPO fakes uh, with the running back. So, you know, anytime those linebackers come in and, and want to, you know, help support the run, which they have to, you know, you're, you're not – you can just throw the ball in right behind them off those slants and ends. And you also, you know, I mean, you get one-on-one deep shots. Like you're just, you're, you're making the defense choose what they're going to try to stop. And then you can just go a different direction off what's ever available to you. And so it's predicated on getting the ball out quick, you know, insert your JG joke here. Um, so it's going to, I mean, the, the ball's going to move quickly. Uh, the team's going to move quickly. Like I said, they, they ran a play, you know, every 15 seconds last year. Uh, and they're, they're top three in pace. I think the last three seasons. So, um, the team's going to move quickly. The offense is going to move quickly, but also the ball is going to come out quickly. You're going to get it to those guys in space. Um, I, I think we, we have the talent to beat guys over the top um, in, in those, those one-on-one coverage. Um, and also, you know, got some guys with some wiggle and some speed. I, I think the class of receivers that we just brought in is is actually, you know, kind of tailor-made for this offense. So um, Heupel should be able to hit the ground running offensively. Um, it also is, is very beneficial in the running game because you're pulling those cornerbacks, you know, they're essentially out of the running game by, by how far uh, from the ball they're going to be on those wide splits. You're also going to have to have the safeties deeper to cover more field. Um, and so uh, the linebackers are going to have to respect the RPO. So there'll be a half step late in run support. Uh, it's, it's, it's a numbers game, right? Like you just spread everything out and the defense can't have an advantage number wise in the box to stop the run especially if your quarterback is a running threat. So um, I, I did have concerns that Bailey would kind of stick around, uh, but he tweeted out, you know, that he's locked in and ready to go. I do think he'll have incredible success in this offense. Um, but, I, he, you know, he, he's obviously not a running threat. Um, although, he, I mean, he broke a couple, so he, he'll be enough to kind of hold people honest. But, again, you're, 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 with the way you spread out the cornerbacks, you're going to have to have a sa- at least one safety high and so from a, you're, you're going to have at least man-on-a-man in the running game. So as long as everybody does their job, you know, it, it's up to the running back to, to get what's available to him. So wide splits, <laughs> RPO, you're going to hit the middle of the field, and you're going to hit people over the top, and you're going to have success running the ball. Like it, It's what everybody's been crying about, and, and rightfully so, you know, taking advantage of the middle of the field, passing the ball, um, and also kind of opening up some space to run the ball. Like I, it's 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 going to work. Like I, there's, there's no real, you know, there's no real hesitation for me in saying that. Like I firmly believe it's going to work. If you want to 
get a an idea of what Tennessee's going to run, go look at Kendall's Bryles offense at Arkansas. That's really what Heupel's going to run. He basically runs a Bryles version of the air raid. He's going to run some inverted veer. He's going to pull guards and stuff like that during play actions, try and get the trick linebackers. He's just going to look for holes in the other in, in terms of you know where the defense is not lined up. That's where he wants his players to go. This is going to be an incredibly fast-paced offense. They were first in the country in 2020 in plays per game, 86 plays per game in the last three years, which is third in the country. This is going to be incredibly fast-paced, and it's not a, you know, line it up and check with the, you know, offense and go from there kind of situation. They're going to have three, four plays back-to-back-to-back-to-back and get them off as quick as possible to catch defense off guard, and that is really exciting. Absolutely. And it's also, I mean, it's, it's a major fatigue thing, right? Like if you're, if you're a step late, you know, somebody like Jalen Hyatt is gone, like you can't make that up. And so I I think we have the speed to take advantage of that. But also as you get tired, like your brain gets tired, (laughs) like everything just kind of slows down and you just like, you you get sick of trying to defend it. Um, And I also, you know, it's going to be such a refreshing change of pace for our offense to dictate something to somebody else. I, you know, the, it, it's going to put a lot of strain on the defense. Like it's not perfect, um, but it's it's just it, it, it's going to be great to be aggressive and to kind of dictate the flow of a game for a change. It's also going to be incredibly quarterback friendly. If you look at what UCF's quarterbacks have done the last few years, Mackenzie Millen was a Heisman contender in 2018 before he got hurt, and then the last few years they've had some injuries here and there, but their quarterbacks have always been good. And one thing that you can argue is that Tennessee is in a good quarterback spot with Caden Salter and Harrison Bailey. They've got two legitimate top 10 quarterbacks on campus uh, that I think can play in the system. I think both guys can be wildly successful in there. And that's that's very nice to have. I feel comfortable with the quarterback position, even though you know Bailey's only played three or four games and Salter just got on campus last week. But I feel really confident that this is going to be a fun offense with fun quarterback play. Look what he did with Drew Locke as well at Missouri in the SEC. Drew Locke put up great numbers in 2017. And even though Heupel was gone in 2018, Derek Dooley just ran Heupel's offense. It was the exact same offense. So, you know, really excited with the quarterbacks that he's worked with that that's going to attract big-time quarterbacks here, and they're going to play well. Absolutely. He's he's developed quarterbacks. Uh, he, he recruited Jordan Love to Utah State. Um, he coached. You know, a couple of the big name guys at Oklahoma. He coached Drew Locke at Missouri. Uh, you mentioned Mackenzie Milton um, and Gabriel, Dylan Gabriel, I believe, at UCF. Yes. So he, he's had great success with quarterbacks. Um, I, I think Bailey and Salter both fit this offense, can both have success in this offense. It'll look a little different, but I think it, it fits both of them. Also, I mean, if somebody gets hurt or, you know, you know, cr- crazier things have happened, but this offense also fits Hendon Hooker, who transferred in from Virginia Tech. Um, yep. So I, I feel I feel good about where we are from a quarterback standpoint. And honestly, the the maybe some depth on the O line, but otherwise, the entire offense. Um, plus, he's bringing his whole offensive staff, so you don't have to waste time. You know, coaching the coaches, which people, I, I get if you've never coached, like that's something that's kind of easy to laugh at, but like. I've coached a lot of baseball and it, it's, it's, it's a thing, right? Like you, you have a head coach who wants things done his way and then you have assistant coaches. And if you never worked together before, like you have to teach the assistant coaches the way you want things done. Um, and so, you know, 
coaching the coaches is easy to laugh at, but it's a thing. And so bringing his whole offensive staff, like you don't have to waste time doing that and you can get right to it in spring practice, um, you know, implementing things with the players. But it, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, if, if you're one of the top offensive teams in the nation, you're running, you know, a play every 20 seconds, you're running 85 plays a game, you're getting 450 to 550 yards, you're scoring 35 points a game, you're playing in, you know, Neyland Stadium, you got 100,000 fans, you're in the SEC, like, you've, you've shown success, you know, with quarterbacks, you put guys in the NFL at skill positions, like, I don't know what you're not, you know, ready to sign up for. Like, I, I think the offensive side is going to recruit itself just based on the success um, and the fun and tradition facilities. Like, I think all the boxes are checked on the offensive side of the ball. Um, defensively, there's not a staff in place. There's a lot to be desired. There's a lot of money left to bring in those guys. Like, those guys are also going to be playing a lot of snaps because your offense is playing a lot of snaps. And so, it, there's there's definitely a lot to work through there, but I, I think everyone knows this, but it's definitely been kind of exemplified even more so the last three years. Like offense is way more fun <laughs> if you're only going to be good at one of them. <laughs> right. Be good at offense. I and I guess we can transition to the defense now. Here, I care more about fit than name. I would like a guy who actually knows how to cover a spread and not get picked apart by the slant route for an entire year. That'd be great. Kevin Steele's probably not going to be on staff. Hopefully, Philip Former won't mind paying uh, Kevin Steele's $900,000 that's owed to him with part of that severance package that he got. That'd be nice. <laughs> Doubt that's going to happen, though. Uh, yeah. But I think it's that's going to be the big thing. And something that I've noticed with spread offenses is it's more about slowing them down and giving the ball back to your offense than about actually gaining stops. This is not ever going to be a top-10 defense, right? That's just not going to happen. But you can still have a good defense, and I think there are ways to do that. But for me, with the defensive scheme, I kind of want someone a little bit younger, somebody who actually has experience being able to stop the spread and, and has an idea of creating negative plays as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all about negative plays. Like If, if you can get an offense off schedule and, and force them to pass – like it, it, if, if you're a defense and you know it's a running play, like you got a pretty good job, a pretty good chance of stopping it. Like if, if you know it's a passing play, like you, you got a pretty good chance of stopping it. it, it it's, it's impossible to defend both. So if you can create a negative play and you force them into you know a passing down, then you you take your chances at at you know making that stop. So it's it's all about you know penetration, whether that's via the defensive line or you know the blitz. Um, and so I, I, I think. I, I, he, he talked about this in his press conference, so he gets it. Um, it it's all about just getting people off schedule. Uh, and so if, if, if you can make a negative play or, I mean, obviously a turnover, um, that, that's kind of the two things to be aggressive about. Um, as, as long as you don't go full track meet, right, and you're like, you know, South Sanceri turnstile defense, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, nobody's asking you to, to shut out anyone. I, I just think if you, if you can slow them down, um, make the other team put drives together, uh, create a negative play here and there, and get a turnover or two. Like, you know, your offense is what's going to win games for you. you. You know, your defense just needs to be a complimentary part of that. The other thing I would mention, too, with the defense here is is that recruiting is going to be important. They're going to need playmakers. They're going to need guys who can develop 
as well. I think that's really important that we need good defensive coaches that are going to develop. I think that's been a problem at Tennessee for a long time. The last two regimes have had, well, let's just say the last three regimes have had bad player development on the defensive side of the ball. So getting a, getting coaches, not just great recruiters or big names, but getting guys who actually can develop defensive players is going to be really good because I think Heupel is probably going to put a lot of stock recruiting-wise into the offense in terms of chasing the big names. While on defense, I think they're going to try and do their best to rely on their coaching acumen and scheme to try and get the ball back to the offense. Yeah, so so Heupel got a raise, right? But by you know money available standards, not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, he's bringing his whole staff with him. I imagine it's going to be the same situation for them. Like they're all going to get a raise, but it's not like you know we're going to be paying them Jim Cheney money. And so I, I think the money exists for you to go out and get the defensive staff you need um you know hypo got a six-year deal with which extends to a seven-year deal if there's ncaa sanctions right i believe that to be true Mm -hmm. yes that is correct it was six years 24 million and then he gets an additional year for any bull ban or scholarship reductions at a certain point. I think it's if it's a two-year bull ban and then like eight scholarship reductions like over three years or something like that. Gotcha. So so that's a commitment. Um, and so I, I think that allows you to go into the kind of the defensive coach market. Um, you're gonna Your head coach is going to be there and you're going to make a lot of money. So I, I think you're able to offer, you know, stability on an assistant level and, and hopefully we can really bring in, you know, maybe an ace recruiter or two, but as you said, you know, guys who can really develop guys, um, you can really develop players into solid defensive pieces. I, I think this is going to be a much more speed focused team than size focused team. Um, I, I don't know that they're going to be like small, small. Um, I don't think we're going to be like you know, in the, in the Butch Jones era or anything like that, but I do think this team's going to get, you know, faster. Um, and I know that was an emphasis for Pruitt, but I think given the choice between the two, Pruitt would still lean size. Um, I, I think this is going to be a little bit of a leaner, a little bit of a faster team. Um, but yeah, I, the, the money's going to be available defensively. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed we can make some good hires and, and you know, j- just do enough on that end. Yeah, there seems to be some rumors that Zach Arnett, who's a fast up-and-comer, who's kind of developed an ability to counter some spread, uh, which is mostly what everyone runs now, you know, spread offense. It's kind of stopping them, slowing them down, creating these negative plays. He's from Mississippi State. You know, he's kind of been the rumored favorite. We don't know if that's going to happen yet or not. But that will be interesting to watch. I think, you know, we'll get a better, bigger name. I think also, too, you could maybe see, not going to, you know, just throw it out there. I think Will Muschamp might be interesting to throw out there just because he's a big name. He's got a really good recruiting background, and he's been a head coach in the SEC twice now. That that could be very beneficial for Heupel. But just get a guy who can develop players and isn't an idiot, which I know sounds really easy, but it's not. <laughs> I think would be a huge would be a huge win for Josh Heupel. Yeah, I I would support a must champ hire. I've seen a lot of detractors to that. I know, like he's coached at Florida, he's coached at South Carolina, so. Obviously not going to be a fan favorite at Tennessee um, for those two reasons alone. But the, the guy's obviously a good defensive coach. Um, he does have head coaching experience. As long as they could figure out that dynamic and it would work for them, I, I would support uh, a must-champ hire. Um, I, I would also be fine with Arnett. You know, I don't, I don't know you know what direction this is going to go, and, and it's 
you know, not as fun to speculate on a defensive coordinator as it is a head coach. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think it's hilarious that Heupel was like, yeah, everybody on the offensive side of the bus is coming and everybody on the defensive side of the bus is looking for a new job. Like, <laughs> right. um, we're, we're getting promoted and you guys, you, we're going to use all our money to try again. <laughs> yeah, that does seem to be the case there. And he's not keeping anyone from what it, you know, what it seems like. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt is rumored to take the Jets job. A Jets job that seems to maybe not be in the works. Actually, um, Derek Ansley. He's going. I think he's going to the Giants now. Yeah, I've read rumors he's the Giants, which makes sense. Joe Judge is a saving guy, so that would make sense. Ansley's going to go to the Chargers. I would imagine be their defensive backs coach uh, with Brandon Stanley, Staley, excuse me. And then Jay Graham, I believe, is in the works to be the Alabama running backs coach, which sucks. I'll be honest. Yeah. I love Jay Graham, but same time, I can understand. You know why he might be leaving right now you know that's been kind of a world chase chase championships yeah chase championships as as josh and danny like to say and then uh it looks like team martin's not going to be back after a weird peerless price tweet but i don't really <laughs> want to go into that that was awkward uh but there seems to be some history between hypel and martin somehow which doesn't make sense to me but whatever um which i i think is probably the right time i love t but probably time to move on from there so uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. I know Rodney Gardner was rumored to be partnered with Steele. That doesn't that seems to maybe have lost some traction. I, I think defensively though, with Danny White, I think he can help with that. And Tennessee does seem to not care about money right now, so that also helps. Absolutely. Um, an- another guy coming from UCF. I think his name is Brandon Lawson, um, mm-hmm. director of player personnel, like that. You know, quote GM role um, essentially that's become big in college football. He's a UT graduate and has been on staff at, at Tennessee before. So, you know, hopefully he can at least show Hypel to his office. <laughs> um, yeah, but nice. he's he's coming he's coming from UCF as well. Right. So that'll be interesting. I think that's a good mention here to or lead to that GM role in recruiting. I think there's some legitimate concerns. Hypel's not a rah rah guy by any stretch, but I don't think that's necessary. He does seem no nonsense in a good way. Like, I think if you tell him, like, he seems to, it may be, you know, reading a one-hour press conference isn't the way to do this, but he seems like the type of guy, if you give him good news or bad news, he processes it logically. Like, he doesn't seem like he gets too high or too low, which I think can work in recruiting. It's going to be really important to hide staff. He's going to bring his UCF guys with him. But, you know, like I said, I think at this point, maybe the recruiting numbers, I'm not trying to be a three-star heart, three-star ranking with five-star hearts guy by any stretch, but I think more importantly, the player development is going to be the biggest thing right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've kind of shared what I think about the offensive recruiting. Um, you, you're, uh, unfortunately, but you're a thousand percent right. Like, he, he's not a cheerleader. Like, he's not Bruce Pearl. Um, he's not even a, a Lane Kiffin where he may not be rah-rah, but he's so obviously smart aleck that you know people just catch on and enjoy that um I, I think he 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 came off as someone who's a really good coach and like doesn't really want to be bothered by much else besides coaching football yes. um so for better or worse um that, that's that's a little bit what it looks like right now um i do think it, ultimately for the fans you got to win right but that the the rah-rah cheerleader thing like there's a fine line like you don't want to go overboard with that or you're Butch Jones. Mm-hmm. But I do think you need a little bit of that to get a pulse uh, into the fan base. And, you know, for, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, like the, the, the energy and the fan base and surrounding the program helps recruiting. Um, I, I think Hypel can win in living rooms because I think he can break things down from a practical standpoint. 
um, the opportunities that are going to be available and, and how he can use, you know, certain kids and, um, you know, what he's going to do to make them successful. Uh, but again, that's on the offensive side. And I already think, you know, we're not going to have a lot of trouble recruiting offensively. So I, I think you're going to need a little bit more of those, um, we'll, we'll call them spirited, um, passion guys on the defensive side uh, that, that are going to be able to recruit players and, and really kind of give you a little bit of uh, juice, as Danny White said in the in the press conference. I, I don't know. I mean, there's the the GIF, GIF, whichever way you want to say it, going around of Hypel pumping up the crowd at UCF. You know, like I don't know if you've seen that, but like guess, this is yes. the one thing people have pointed to and been like, yeah, see, he does. Like he is a little bit of a, a swagger guy. Um, I don't think he's that guy. Um, no matter how many times you want to watch that on loop, um, it will be cool if he does that this fall. But um, I, I don't think he's ever going to fill that cheerleader role. So I, I do think you probably need a, an energy guy uh, on the defensive side uh, that's going to help both with the fans and with recruiting. Uh, but I, I do think I think Hypel will be able to kind of explain schematically what he's doing, what's going to work, and and when. It, it, the conversations that he can have, I think he's going to be able to win. Well, and we know he's got a sense of humor, right? You know, there's the Adam West Batman lookalike running around <laughs> for him at Halloween, which I, you know, people took that as like a kind of a negative thing, like, oh, look at this loser, which I thought, you know, that's that shows a sense of humor. It shows a funny side. You know, with college kids, you got to have some charisma. You know, you can't take yourself too seriously. So I like that. I also will say this. I think there's more charisma than people would think. This is a two-time captain for a national title-winning team who was a Heisman finalist. Usually, if you have that profile, you might not be Tim Tebow, but you're not a lame duck either, right? So I think there's going to be some charisma in there, and I think overall it doesn't matter, you know, if he's not super charismatic. You don't have to be Dabo Sweeney, or you don't have to be Kirby Smart, or you don't have to be Ed Orgeron. Dan Mullen's a freaking weirdo, and you know he, <laughs> he recruits fine, and he wins games. So overall, I don't think that's too concerning. But I do agree, you know, you'll probably want to get a couple guys in there who can, you know, pump up the guys and whatnot, especially because Heupel's going to be calling plays too. He's going to be focused on that as well. So you do want a couple energy guys as well. For sure. Uh, him him calling plays and being focused on the offense makes not just like the defensive coordinator hire important. I think every single defensive hire is important because they're 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 gonna have free reign to do their own thing. Uh, so those position group meetings on the sidelines during games, um, you know, all of those things are gonna need to be well organized, well appointed, and well ran. because uh, the head coach is not gonna be dropping in on those. Um, as far as his charisma, I, I think you're again a thousand percent right. Um like I, I think his his personality is probably more behind closed doors. Like he's been a you know quote football guy his whole life. Like his dad was a coach. Um, you know he was a two time captain, like you said, Heisman finalist. Like he he's been in locker rooms forever, and I think he probably has the perfect locker room personality and persona. Like you said, you know the the Batman outfit on the practice field. Like that was for the players, right? Like that's that's funny. You know they enjoy that. You know have a little you know a laugh at practice. Like I think he's going to be great with players and for the players. Um, I just, I don't think that's going to translate outside the locker room to the fan base. And I don't think he cares that it does. Yeah. I'm not even sure Jeremy Pruitt knew what Batman was. Batman. What's Batman? You know, that's <laughs> never heard of a spare. Yeah, that's true. So what's that? But anyway, um, but the other thing with Hypo I would mention too is 
I'm not sure Missouri counts, but he did coach in the SEC for two years. <laughs> you know, he was on the Oklahoma staff for a while. You know, he it was under Bob Stoops, who was a master recruiter. So I would say that, you know, he does have – and UCF's a, a pretty competitive place. You know, you got to get those Florida kids. So I think that recruiting-wise, I'm not too concerned. You know, I, I think it's going to take a while to build the profile. But, again, I'm more concerned about the player development at this point. That's fair. I mean, I we've we've been preaching player development for a long time. It's like the you know before halfway through this season, like we've seen bad offensive line play for so long. Like that's just the only thing we want is for the offensive line to be good. Now it's like we've just we've we've had poor player development for so long. Like that's all that really matters to me. So I'm going to give you six random questions, which I you know, threw at you in the outline so they're not really random. But still, I'm going to give you these six questions I came up with that I want you to answer that I'll kind of give a little feedback on here regarding Hypel. Um, the first one we kind of covered, so we'll make it five because it doesn't make you feel better or worse that White brought Hypel from UCF, and we talked about that. So I'm going to skip that one here. In terms of other SEC East coaches, where would you rank Hypel? Uh, for me, it's third. Um and I realize that may be aggressive, but I, I truly believe that and, and can defend that. You got Dan Mullen, uh, Kirby Smart, and then for me, it's Josh Heupel. I got Stoops ahead of Heupel, and I know you put F Stoops in the in the notes that you sent back to me. And after the shot he took at Tennessee, I think that's fair. I, I go with number four. I like it better than than Shane Beamer for sure. I like it better than Clark Leia, but that's more just a Vanderbilt thing than, than Clark Leia. Um, and, I mean, honestly, I like it more than uh, Elia Drinkwitz. Like, I think Heupel's a better version of that. So I, I have him fourth, and that could easily be third in a couple of years. I, in terms of what I like, going against Mullen and Smart, I think that, that he's not going to be afraid of that. Mullen's a play caller. Smart is a play caller, right? Well, now Heupel's going to be a play caller. So in terms of wits, I think that's going to be fun too, and I and I like Heupel going against those guys. So he definitely like he didn't come across as arrogant, but definitely confident. Like I, I agree, I don't think I don't think he's going to be intimidated by anyone, um, and so I don't think he's going to you know shy shy away or back down from uh, those challenges that present themselves with Florida and with Georgia. Um, Stoops, like I just. Man, just because you're good at Kentucky doesn't mean you're good. Like, I just think he gets graded on the curve so substantially that he hasn't even done anything. And people want to talk about Kentucky every year and him every year. Like, they've been the dark horse in the East for a decade and haven't come close to doing anything. Also, why hasn't he been hired at a better place? You know, I think it's fair. Or Rich Brooks did the exact same thing but got, like, 50% of the credit as well. Right. I think you could argue that. You know, if you look at Rich Brooks, you know, during his Kentucky days, he went eight and five, eight and five, seven and six, seven and six, and his tenure, and that's basically what, you know, Mark Stoops has done. He's got ten and three in there, but that's that's what Stoops has done, you know, over the last few years, and he just went four and six in the SEC play. So, um, I think that's, you know, I think that argument can be made. I just Stoops is a really good defensive coach, so I'll, I'll go Hypo number four right now, but that could definitely change by the end of the year. What was your biggest takeaway from the press conference from both White and Heupel? So for White, for me, um, it's it's when you know he he answers these questions, and half the time he's not even answering them. He just says what he wants to say instead of answering the question. So again, you know he's he's telling his story, not the story, and I I respect the hell out of that. Like he's he's a whiz when it comes to the media. Um, 
but he, he was going off on one of his tangents and just kind of, you know, flow of conscious speaking. And he, he said something that probably passed um, a lot of people, but really stuck out to me. And um, he's like, you know, I, I'm just a driven fundraiser and marketer. And so like, he, he's basically just like a brand ambassador um, of the athletic department. And the fact that that's what he sees himself as is so refreshing because that is the role of the athletic director. Mm-hmm. And like he, he understands his function on campus and with boosters and with fans and, you know, as a representation to the outside world of the university, like he's not going to be sitting in the freaking offensive line meeting on Tuesday morning. Like he, he doesn't, I don't want to say he doesn't care, but like that's not his job and he knows that's not his job. And so f- for me, just, the fact that he's passionate about, first of all, he knows what his job is. That's an upgrade from the previous <laughs> athletic director. And that he's passionate about doing his job, an upgrade from probably every athletic director. Like, I, he, he continues to just be, I, I know I'm a Danny White fanboy, right? But, like, he just continues to demonstrate that he knows what he's doing and that, you know, we're going to raise money. Like, we're going to have a positive brand image. Like, we're going to do all of the things that we haven't done um, for so long. And so I, I'm excited about him as an athletic director. Um, and then as far as Heupel goes, he visibly, like, you know, one of the questions was about, you know, dealing with the sanctions and, you know, why would you want to come here and, and all this other stuff. And he was, he was basically giving the same canned stuff that, that Danny's Danny White has said for two press conferences now about, you know, the, the tradition and the brand and, you know, it just needs to be polished up a little bit. Like everything's still here to be really, really successful. And he, he took it a step further, right? Like he was talking about running through the T, you know, with a hundred plus thousand fans and he visibly got chills. Like I, I thought he was going to cry, like, tear up a little bit. Um, and I know like that's the player inside of him, mm-hmm. but it also demonstrates like such a magnitude of respect for the tradition and the fan base and it is it was another refreshing thing you know to see cuz like that wasn't lip service like he was visibly moved by that answer you know something i just realized with with hypo and just a quick tangent you know regarding that this was a major college football player this was a guy who who won a national title as a quarterback and was a Heisman finalist you you know i'm not saying that that makes him a great coach but you look at our last four coaches none of those guys were successful football players right well hypo is so I think maybe he does have a little bit more understanding about what it takes to win big. And, and again, not saying that necessarily means he's a good coach or a better coach, right? Nick Saban was a five-six safety at some D2 school. Okay, so I'm not say, saying that that's going to make him automatically good. But I do think maybe there's more of an appreciation of the hard work it, it's going to take to fix this program, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's an appreciation for the hard work, but he also – like he was a really successful football player not that long ago, right. but like it also coinciding, you know, pretty closely with our heyday. And so he, he's, he's been an adult connected to football for our entire decline, but he's also was an adult connected to football during our peak of powers. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a, it's an honest assessment from both Danny White and Josh Heupel, like coming from the outside and calling a spade a spade which with where our program is, which we weren't getting from the last crew. And so that's refreshing, but it's also, you know, it's not like we need to recreate the wheel here or like we need to, you know, invent anything. He's like, this is, this is a great place. This is a historical place. This is a proud place. 
it can be that again. It's not right now, but it can be again. And so, you know, it's not Kiffin recreating, you know, USC East, but it's also not, you know, Fulmer, you know, still, you know, there's nothing wrong. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited about the tandem of the two of them. Um, you know, I don't want to get too crazy optimistic cause we still are what we are, but you know, I, I appreciate the perspective, but also the respect for the tradition. I thought the uh, interesting thing from White was him saying, I'm not patient. I think a yeah. lot of people looked at this hire as a, well, he's just going to do a transitional hire here, which we'll get to a little bit later. But he seemed to indicate that's not the case. Like, he actually probably does believe Josh Heupel can win titles here, chase championships, right? So um, he didn't say that. I'm not patient. So I thought that was that was interesting. He actually said, I'm impatient. So that was the biggest takeaway I took. And then Heupel saying, we're going to create explosive plays on offense and negative plays on defense. Thank God somebody comes out and says it. And, and not just this, I'm going to run my brand because that's what I do nonsense we've heard from the – multiple coaches in the past so I really liked hearing that like hey my goal is to create explosive plays on offense and negative plays on defense I'm going to do that how the best I can I was like thank god that's so simple yet I really appreciate that sentiment absolutely like I just I I, gone is the era of we're going to run what we run right and just be better at it um everybody is is everyone who's successful is in space and taking advantage of matchups right now do you have any concerns about going from thirteen and one to year one to six and four in year three? So, I mean that that's the million dollar question, right? Um, f- for me, I don't. Um, the the six and four, like I, he he lost a lot of close games, um, and I know you know I, I even said this you know probably on every podcast we've had um, where where COVID is a little bit like the weather, like everybody's dealing with it, so it's not. It's not that it's applicable to just one team, but the, the fact that you have a dozen opt-outs, like that matters. Um, mm-hmm. And while everybody dealt with it from a, a practice standpoint um, or, you know, all the extra protocols, like not everybody had, you know, a significant amount of people, if anyone at all, just not play. And so I, I, I think that matters, especially when you're, you're talking about the number of scholarships that you have. Um, that's a, that's a, a, a significant portion of your scholarship roster. Um, so from a depth standpoint, that's tough injuries mount as the season goes. Um, and so, you know, close losses happen, uh, f- for me, I, I it, it's a little bit overblown. Like, you know, people say, Oh, he won with Scott Frost's players. Well, technically Scott Frost won with George O'Leary's players then if, if that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And so I, I think you can, you can, you can, you can make stats say anything you want. Um, and I, I think this is. You know, again, this is looking through kind of orange-colored glasses and being optimistic about the hire, but I do think this can be, you know, quote, explained away. Um, the offense was still really successful. So, looking at it here, you're looking at seven of his eight losses have been by one possession, right? Mm-hmm. So, they've been competitive. That program had nowhere to go but down. You go undefeated, you're just naturally just not, especially at UCF, right? You're just, there's going to be some, if Scott Frost was still there, they weren't going to go, 14 and 0 every year. That's just not right. how it's going to work. And then the other thing is, I, I'm not sure I, you know, it's funny because we criticize Pruitt for his 2020 season, but, you know, at a place like UCF, if you lose 10 guys, that's a bigger deal because you don't have as much depth. 
you don't have maybe as many walk-ons. You might not have as many practice players. So that is a pretty big deal, losing that many guys. Three of their losses were by one score. They were in the final seconds. They did take Cincinnati to the final seconds on a field goal. The other loss was to BYU in a bowl game, which I'm not counting. So it's not like he was getting you know beaten by bad programs either at the same time. Yeah, I mean, here... Here's the deal, like pe- people in the SEC specifically, but also the Power Five don't want to hear it. But like, that's a good football conference. Mm-hmm. Um, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, Memphis. Um, you know, there, there's some competitive football played in that conference, uh, and so you know, and and also you know, being undefeated in you know a couple of years and, and having the records that they had, like you, you wear a target on your back, and so they're taking everybody's best shot every week. Um, and, and granted, like when you get into the SEC, that's what everybody always likes to say, like, oh, you get everybody's best game every week. And so, you know, th- that's not really true. Like everybody probably tries to give Alabama or whatever their best game. Um, but, you know, you, you as the quote big dog in the conference and like the, the darling of the group of five, like they, they were taking everybody's best shot every week also. Over under 500 yards of offense in year one. Uh, one other thing I wanted to recruit on or touch on oh, when people talk about the downward trajectory, mm-hmm. sorry, I, I left this out, but I, I do think it's important. It, you know, they talk about Scott Frost players and how he can't recruit no four stars, blah, blah, blah. Like, he, he did just bring in UCF's best class in history. So I got, I, it's not like he was doing something that Scott Frost wasn't doing right. uh, from a recruiting standpoint. Um, on the, on the over under, uh, I believe you, you tagged that at 500 yards year one. I've, I, I, I struggle, but I, I, I think I got to go under. That's a lot of yards. Um, it is the SEC. I don't think they're going to get off 85, 90 plays a game. Um, I, I do think, you know, we're, we're obviously going to pick up the pace quite a bit, but it's not going to be mastered, um, you know, to the to the extent that he wants it to be in, in one year. And the defenses are going to be better and, and – you know, offensively on the line, we might struggle a little bit. So I, th- I think you add all those things in, and, and I, I think you're probably looking at under 500 yards. I think the other thing I would mention, too, regarding that is there is a lot of talent on offense, even after Eric Gray transferred to Oklahoma. Yes. I like our wide receivers. you got Ramel Keaton, Cedric Tillman are nice deep threats. Uh, we saw what Jalen Hyatt did as a freshman when he got opportunity Vellis Jones will not be misused in this offense. Yay. I'm very excited about that. The tight end will probably get a pass thrown his way. That will be fun. Um, I'm sure Princeton fans are really excited about that. He'll he'll actually know how to ke- you know be what a like a pass play for me, really. That's interesting. Um, and then whoever running back comes in and you know, I think there's a couple fun options potentially. Uh D Beckwith uh seemed to have some moments. I, I actually thought Jabari Small looked really good in his times. Uh, at running back. I think both those guys can f- do well in this offense, and Heupel will probably bring in a guy, hopefully to find. I, I, I think this offense, I'm going to say under, but I, I think this can be a top 30 offense next year in the country. Uh, somebody to keep an eye on for me is is Jimmy Holiday in the slot. Yes, that's another good name too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, that's my that's my underdog, what, underrated, under something. That's my under something name to watch. The, the other thing I would mention, the one other thing, is whoever the offensive line coach, and it looks like it's going to be Glenn Eberly who's coming with Heupel, got to improve mm-hmm. the offensive line. We need a good offensive line coach. We haven't had one since Sam Pittman. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, 
he, he's bringing everybody and that, that the guy you named is the offensive line coach or, you know, will be officially announced as the offensive line coach. So, um, I'm not going to act like I know everything about the guy, but yeah, I, I, again, I, I trust whatever he's doing offensively to continue working there. Let's get into rumors. Let's, let's do this here. Okay. So there was an alleged big fish that got offered an insane contract. Not just for message board, there were some reporters who seemed to allege that too. Who do you think was the alleged big fish? I, I think the guy Chris Lowe named is James Franklin. Mm-hmm. Um, I I hope not. Right? I hope it's Matt Campbell. Um, but again, I, I don't. It, it doesn't matter because they're not the coach. But if if you decided you didn't want to do business with Lane Kiffin or Hugh Freeze, like I don't. Why, why does James Franklin get consideration? If I only kind of drawback there was something interesting that came out right around the time uh josh heupel was hired and i'm not going to say that this this coincides but i i do think sometimes coincidences are not necessary coincidences um pat fitzgerald got a humongous contract extension at the same exact time josh heupel got hired i thought that was just interesting i i just that was just kind of noticed that on twitter and just thought "Hmm, that's that's weird timing I saw that too, almost, um, almost immediately mm-hmm. after the hiring, like, you know, within a couple of hours, he got a massive contract. Um, so I, I kind of scratched my head a little bit. Um, I, I respect, you know, Pat Fitzgerald a ton. Uh, I do think he's a defensive guy, so it doesn't really fit the same conversation that, that, you know, Danny White's had, you know, for the week that he's been athletic director. Uh, so I, I don't want to say for sure that it's connected, but it was definitely odd timing. Like, if if it wasn't connected, like, don't you just pocket that news for a day or two? You would think so. It, it was very odd, and especially with some of the rumors are going that Tennessee was chasing one guy and had a backup plan. Uh, we know Tony Elliott's name was was rumored around, but that never seemed to really, you know, really come up with anything. It, it just, and I'm not saying I have any inside connections. I don't. I just thought that was weird. I just thought, like, why would you announce that right this morning? Especially because Tennessee announced Hypel pretty early. It just, it just seemed interesting. Maybe, maybe there was no connection. I just, just thought that was kind of interesting there. I mean, there were yeah, no reasons he... why Fitzgerald could leave, even though he is from Northwestern. But it just kind of, it kind of got caught my eye when I saw that. Yeah, I mine too. Um, one, one thing on the Tony Elliott deal. Uh-huh. Um, so it was rumored kind of early on in the process, you know, that he was a candidate and the, the Clemson mods were kind of like, Hey, if, if he's offered the job, he's going to take it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, later on in the process, you know, there was a report that came out that Tony Elliott was reaching out to people, you know, if see if they would have interest in joining his staff. So I think, honestly, I think what this came down to is the compilation of staffs. Like I think, I, I think Danny White, believed in Hypel more than Elliot maybe, but I think Danny White believed in Josh Hypel's staff more than Tony Elliott's staff. And so, you know, that's one thing when you're promoted as a coordinator, um, usually you're bringing some guys with you from where you were and giving them promotions. And so everybody's kind of stepping up um, and, and kind of punching out over their head a little bit out of their weight class. And so I, I think is a, I, I think honestly, like he was, Tony Elliott was probably in the running um, right down to the wire and was basically like, okay, if you were to be the head coach, who could you bring? And, you know, he starts trying to put that together and it, it ultimately wasn't enough for Danny. 
And then you have the old Tony Elliott's out of consideration. I, I think Tony Elliott was out of the consideration the same way John Gilbert was out of the consideration. I think we probably passed. Um, I, I think we probably passed. And I think a lot of it had to do with the staff he was or wasn't able to put together. The only other weird name was Neil Brown announcing he was staying at West Virginia. That was kind of yeah. weird. Thanks, um, Neil. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Franklin would have been – I don't like James Franklin personally. I not he's a good coach, but I don't know if he's like actually that great of a coach. Uh, it seems like his success depends completely on whoever his offensive coordinator is. Yeah. Uh, so I would say I'm just I'm just gonna say this: I'd rather have Josh Heupel than James Franklin for a multitude of reasons. Many reasons, many reasons. So, all right, uh, let's talk about expectations for Josh Heupel. So, give me your year one expectations, or or better phrase it here: What do you want to see in year one? Let's just assume. Tennessee somehow escapes major sanctions, no bowl ban or, you know, no huge scholarship reductions. What do you want to see in year one? Well, I mean, they got to play in a bowl game. Um, I, I think we've talked about, you know, the history of this podcast. Like, that should be the floor um, for for Tennessee football. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, you, you've got to go six and six um, at a minimum. And I, I think that's doable. I would say that's, you know, I'd like five wins. I know that's low. I would say this team, barring huge, you know, you know, a lot ton of players defecting and things like that, I think they should be able to beat Pittsburgh next year. So, I, you know, that's four wins, and then you're hoping to get at least one or two SEC wins. They do have to play Ole Miss. They do have to play at Bama and at Florida. Those are two tough games. So I'm hoping five wins. I'd be fine with that. If it's five wins and a really fun offense, like the offense clicks, I, I would take that in my opinion. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you're going to win three of the out-of-conference games. Right. And you've got Pitt, which should lean towards the W, and you're just looking for two out of Vanderbilt, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Missouri. I, to me, it's, it's six. I, I think that's fair. You know, and, and I guess you could say kind of like how I expect Tennessee basketball to be in the tournament every year. I think it's fair to have the expectation Tennessee should be in a bowl every year. So I think you're probably more correct than I am. I just think that this job is going to be really tough. And I'm expecting, you know, mass player depictions and stuff like that. And he's only got a week to recruit. So that that's just my opinion there. What uh, I think we pick up transfers after spring practice, um, transfers in. Um, but also, what, what what's the over under for Tennessee Ole Miss October sixteenth? Oh, it's a hundred points. Right? <laughs> I would say maybe not hundred. Probably it's probably going to be over eighty though. I would imagine yeah. it's um, going to be in the eighties. Was it whatever sure. whatever Ole Miss Mississippi State was this year? That's going to probably be the over under. It was. <laughs> the second question I have here is again. You know, not assuming major sanctions or assuming that there are no major sanctions. Can Hypel have Tennessee competing for an SEC title, SEC East title in year three? Here, here's the deal. My answer is yes. And this is not like a caveat or contingency, but it's an honest assessment of what the word compete means. Okay. It's like if you're competing for the SEC East title, like, are you talking about losing the SEC East by one game? Or are you talking about losing to Georgia and Florida by one possession? Because like, you know, we're, we're at a disadvantage every year by playing Alabama. So like, if, if, if you are telling me, are we going to beat Alabama by year three? Probably not. So like, there, there's a loss right there. And then you've got to sweep <laughs> Georgia and Florida okay. to win the SEC East. 
Right. Um, and so I, I think, like, are we competing to win the East in the sense that we're favorite or I'll we have a, you know, like a legitimate, legitimate shot to win the East? Let me Probably not. That. But are we going to be playing in, you know, competitive football games with Florida and Georgia? I say yes. I'll rephrase. Can Tennessee make a New Year's Six Bowl by year three? How about that? So that's nine wins, basically. Yeah. Okay. We I win nine games. That's a better question, right? That's that means you're well, a top twelve team, and, and you're you're basically top three in the SEC. So I think that's probably a better question. Here's the deal: Can we be the third best? Can we be definitively the third best team in the East in year three? Yes. Okay. I think that's. I think. Give me year four. Uh, I'm not sure Heupel is a championship-winning coach, and I guess that's going to be our next question here. Uh, what do you believe Josh Heupel will accomplish at Tennessee? Man, I he's he's pretty young. Um, Danny White's pretty young. Like I would love for him to be here for 20 years. Like, right. and I don't I don't say that because I love Josh Heupel. Like I just I want him to be successful. I think we need stability uh, more than anything else. And so, you know, I, I hope that he, on a more realistic basis, like, you know, 20-year joke aside, like, I hope he coaches out this contract. Um, so, I, I, you know, if he's here, yeah, that means he's achieving something. Um, I, I think I think we can be competitive in the games that I mentioned, you know, three, four years out. Um, and, and so with that, like, you know, hopefully eventually you can turn the corner. Like, I, I think we can win the SEC East under Josh Heupel, you know, in a, in a six year window. I said, this was a five year job and I'm going to stick beside that. To me, I would be, I, I view Hypo as a transitional guy. You probably don't. And Danny White didn't seem to think that in the press conference for sure. I think this is a really solid transitional hire. I don't think Tennessee was going to get a championship caliber coach. I'm not sure Hypo's that guy. I love his offense. I think there are legitimate questions about the defense and the recruiting, which we've mentioned before. But again, I'm looking more for player development that can be, you know, overcome. To me, he's here five years. He wins seven to eight regular season, you know, games a year. Fun offense gets better, uh, reestablishes the in-state connections, which Pruitt really was dropped the ball on this, you know, the last couple of years. And Tennessee's an attractive job again. I, I would say that I would be happy with that tenure if that happens, almost like what Butch Jones did the first four years. Like if he does what Butch Jones does the first four years, I'd be extremely happy with what Heupel's doing. I would be happy with that for sure. Just based on how the last, you know, three coaches have ended, right? Four coaches, five coaches. Um, you know, if, if it, if, if he leaves the job better than he gets it, like that's successful for where we are right now, unfortunately. But I, I, his ultimate ceiling of success depends on the defensive hires that are made. Cause I don't want to say that he doesn't care about defense. Um, but like he's obviously an offensive minded guy and I think he's going to delegate the defense out. Um, I think that's for, you know, him recognizing his skill set and his strengths and, and doing that. So it, it's contingent upon, you know, the defensive hires that we make. Hopefully we continue to commit, uh, you know, to, to spending a lot of money to bring in the right defensive guys. That's going to be really the big thing. You know, his ability, can he recruit with the big boys? And can he 
find the right defensive coordinator are really going to be the two big questions here. He's not exact. He's not a CEO type, which I like. He's an actual football coach. He's going to run. He's going to be very involved in the offense, and he's going to call plays, which I think he should. I think that's that's definitely something he should do. And and the NFL has shown that that can be successful. And I would say, you know, college it's not as successful, but it still can be. But I believe the big thing is going to be the, the right defensive coordinator. And if you have a good defensive coordinator and he gets hired away for another job, finding that replacement, as long as he can hire good defensive coordinators, this should be a solid, you know, he should be doing a solid job here. Yeah. I I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's going to be hoisting the crystal ball or anything. But if, if you look up 10 years from now and Josh Heupel is still the head coach and we won the SEC East one or two times, that's not going to shock me. It'll be interesting to see what the fan base does. You know, if that's the situation, if he wins the SEC East a couple times, but he never gets over the hump, is Tennessee fans going to be okay with that? Uh, that That's going to be another interesting thing. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens there. How much time is the fan base going to give him if he wins, like, let's say, five games the first year, six games the second year, eight wins the third year, fourth year, eight, nine wins? Will the fan base still be happy? That's going to be interesting. I, I think – so basically, if he's Mark Rick, mm-hmm. after what the fan base has been through the last 10 years, I don't think we get tired of that for a while. Okay. I think that's fair. Any final thoughts on the hype we'll hire? No, man. Like I said, I, I think <laughs> I, I really think the fact that Danny White hired the coach from the place he came from is what's taken the sheen off this hire. Like mm-hmm. Danny White was a top five athletic director in America by a non partisan unbiased (laughs) review um also very successful athletic program josh heupel was the head coach at the best you know group of five football program in america right now like both of these guys are successful hires the fact that they worked together previously should not diminish either one of them zach reagan from a to z sports brought up an interesting point if Josh Heupel had graduated from the University of Tennessee, ball fans would be ecstatic with this hire. Be the greatest hire ever. Yeah, it's like Peyton, it's like Peyton Manning, but actually a coaching. <laughs> or if it was Casey Clawson, right? If if he had if he was Casey Clawson and had this resume, I think more fans would be really excited. Or T. Martin, I guess you could say. So I think that does break a, make a point. I think once the dust settled, the fan base was was more okay with the hire. I said it, and I'll say it again. I I was going to trust Danny White as long as it wasn't a guy in his 60s in the NFL, right? That's basically what I said, and I'm going to do that. I trust Danny White that he's got the right guy in place here. I think that's the best we can do. Yeah. I mean, he, he may have not been the best possible candidate, but I, I think we got the best candidate who was going to say yes. I agree, and it's better than Jim Caldwell, so. <laughs> God. Which I, I had about about a ten minute breakdown on when that name got announced. But no, overall this is this is fine. I don't think it's a superstar hire. Uh, Dan Mullen vibes in a good way. I think is kind of what this would be, kind of the high end of this, in my opinion, which I would take. Dan Mullen at, at you know miss a better Dan Mullen at Mississippi State would we where I'd be happy with. You know, eight to ten, eight to nine win regular season wins a year. And you know, not getting embarrassed by your rivals would be fine. <laughs> At least for without the years. without the kissing of the players. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> think I'm with you though. He he does have 
coaching wise Dan Mullen vibes he does yes so all right guys thanks for listening we appreciate it here uh we're gonna have this you know posted for Friday morning you guys can enjoy during the weekend whatever you guys need to do uh, I know it's supposed to be cold to so bundle in get some coffee or hot chocolate listen to us talk uh, and enjoy your weekends Tyler where can they find you on Twitter reporting about all the stocks <laughs> you can find me at T Brown one one five, and don't think I'm gonna let you get off this podcast without acknowledging the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Super Bowl. Oh my gosh, it feels like that was weeks ago. Yes, the Tam- Tampa Bay Buccaneers made the Super Bowl. Congratulations. I apologize about that. Um, I I really, literally, I won in in this because I bet it bet the Packers to win and the money line, knowing that if I bet them to win, that they would lose. And that's what happened. So overall, that was a well-spent twenty-five bucks for me <laughs> on that. So that was I was really happy with that. Tom Brady has won the NFC as many times as Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has as many Super Bowl MVPs as Joe Flacco. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. Um, something I saw from Brady, the craziest thing I saw was he's now being like twenty of the twenty of thirty teams, uh, thirty-two teams in the NFL in the playoffs now. Yeah. That's that just blew my mind. That was crazy. He's also eight and one uh, in the playoffs against that season's MVP. Oh my gosh! And he's got double the playoff wins of anyone else. Double. I think he's doubled Joe Montana, and I think he's got thirty-two. And Montana has sixteen. If I'm not thirty-three, thirty-three to sixteen. That's that blows my mind. Uh, well, guys, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, hopefully. You know, we'll get some – we'll probably tr- talk basketball next. What do you think? You think, think that's a good idea, Tyler? Yeah, we can mix in the schedule. That came out uh, in the midst of all this coaching madness. But, yeah, yeah basketball sounds good. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, you know, we're not recruiting, guys. We'll see what happens there. Maybe we can do a recruiting episode in a couple weeks and just kind of go over some stuff. You know, maybe I can find a special guest. I wonder if I can do that. That might be a good idea. So we'll see what we can do here. Um, but we'll talk basketball next and, and give a report here. We've, we've glossed over a few games with everything going on, but uh, we'll do that next. Guys, we appreciate it. Josh Heupel over here at the University of Tennessee now. Excited to cover him. It's going to be entertaining with that offense, so I'm pretty excited. You guys stay safe and go Vols. <laughs>